This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The, the title of my message is Salt and Saltiness. Salt and Saltiness. And uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. And uh, just open your Bibles. I'd like you to read from your Bible. Does everybody have a Bible? How many of you have a real Bible? If you have a real Bible, just hold your Bible up. See, one day I can tell you that your iPad and your iPhone will probably, uh, and your, uh, what are, what's the other model? Uh, uh, you have iPhones and you have, well, whatever those other phones are, you know. But the, the uh, oh, Androids, uh, excuse me, I, I, I always forget that. Uh, but one day all those electronic things may fail. But I tell you what, the Word of God will never fail. And I love the Bible because, you know, you can mark in it. You can put colors in it. You know, you can, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can put your notes in the side. You can open it up. And, and it's amazing what your mind does. You know, sometimes I can't remember the, the verse, but I know it's in Samuel. And I know that right over here on the left side over here, I, I marked. Oh, yeah, yeah, see, I wrote those things on the side, and I can find it. I get very familiar with my Bible, and I want to encourage you to get familiar with yours, okay? Hallelujah. So Matthew, the fifth chapter, we're going to read verses 13 through 20. This is Jesus. He was speaking probably his most famous message. It was the beginning of his ministry and it's on the Mount Beatitudes. Now, we're going to Israel this year. If you haven't signed up, you better do that in a hurry because we have the most incredible group of people going this year, and they're coming from all over the world. We've got people coming. We've got six people already, maybe eight people, I think, eight people already coming from the USA. We've got people coming from South Africa. We've got people coming from Kenya, and uh, I don't know if we have anybody from Zimbabwe yet. Is anybody from Zimbabwe coming to Israel with us? Oh, there's a few of you. There's a few of you. Well, that's good. It's going to be probably the most exciting group of people we've ever had. So here Jesus is, and we're going to go where he spoke this message. It's there. It's actually there called Mount Beatitudes. They call it the Mount Beatitudes, where Jesus spoke this message. And here's what what he started. This is part of the teaching. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he contextualizes it. We're going to talk about this a little bit too. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here we are. We're reading this morning from the book of Matthew and uh, from this most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. And as we study his message, Jesus is calling his followers, his disciples, and the people that are choosing to follow him to the highest standards of conduct possible. If you read on, you'll, you'll see that he is dealing with a number of issues. He says if someone presses you to walk a mile, go two miles. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who use you and abuse you. Return good for evil. You know, when you, when you read this, he's commanding us to love our enemy, to forgive those who do us wrong, and to be sure that we act with the highest and the purest of motives. He goes on, he says, there's two roads that you can choose. A wide road that leads to destruction, and he says there's many that find that road. He says, but then there's a, a narrow one that leads to life. And then to this whole teaching, Jesus, Jesus begins by framing it, and he begins to teach He's t he, be uh, he begins to frame all that he's about to teach by calling those of us who follow him to choose to be a godly influence on the world in which we live in. I tell you, these are tough commands. I don't know how you look at them, but I see them as tough commands. Jesus clearly expects the world to be transformed by our lives, by our presence in the world. He expects it. Listen to the words of Jesus again. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, today, much of the salt that people use today is what's called sodium chloride. Sodium chloride is a chemical mixture that's put together that we call table salt. Uh, and, and, and table salt that you buy from the store is different from salt back in the time of Christ. Back then, salt was something different. Sodium is an extremely active element found naturally only in a combined form. In fact, you can never really just find sodium by itself. It's too active. It always combines with something else. Okay? And, and you'll never find sodium just alone. And it always links itself to another element, chlorine. Now, chlorine is also a very poisonous gas that gives, you know, you know that smell of bleach? Have you ever smelled chlorine in your pool? Yeah, so it's, a, it's actually a poisonous gas to human beings, and it's an offensive odor. But when you mix sodium and chlorine together, the result is sodium chloride, which we call table salt. Love and truth 
can be like sodium and chloride. You see, love without truth is flighty, sometimes blind, willing to combine with all kinds of things. I've watched love combined with all kinds of foolish doctrines. Well, we just love each other. And so we accept something that's not true because of love. We have to be very careful in this day and age we live in because love alone is not the answer. But many today are talking about a gospel of love, a gospel of love alone that accepts anything and everything. On the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive and sometimes even poisonous. Spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel. But when truth and love are combined in an individual, or when truth and love are combined in a church, then we have what Jesus calls the salt of the earth, the salt of the earth. And we're able to preserve and bring about the beauty of our faith in the society in which we live. You see, when salt was mined back in the day, and my wife is very particular about whatever salt we eat, we don't eat sodium chloride in our house. We eat salt that is mined, rock salt, a certain kind of rock salt, Himalayan rock salt. It's quarried. It's mined. Why? Because it's real salt. It's salt of the earth. But when salt is mined, and back then especially, it wasn't always pure. In fact, there were times when the salt that was gathered was so impure that it wasn't even salty. There was such a mixture of earth in it that it no longer had a saltiness to it. And when this kind of salt was mined it, and, and it was dirty like that, it, 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 it wasn't salty. So it would be cast out and they would be used to harden the pathway or the floors where people lived. Jesus is teaching us through these verses that if we as his followers are going to change the world in which we live, we have to be pure salt. I guess another way of saying it is, we have to be the real deal. Just tap your neighbor say, are you the real deal? What does it mean to be the real deal? Well, our lives cannot be a mixture of impurities. We have to be uncompromised. We have to be pure. And we have to be authentic. I like the word authentic. Uh... I think one of the words I try to be in my life is I try to be constant. I think that's another word. You know, I think we all have areas that we're working on. I think we all have areas that we probably have as either perpetual weaknesses or weaknesses that God says, hey, I need you to go through these stages to get to the next level. But I can promise you this, that wherever we're at in our lives, God is looking for us to be pure, uncompromised, and authentic. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, what he's really saying is, be authentic. Be the real deal. Be the real thing. You know, an inconsistent 
somebody who has an inconsistent lifestyle is really a repellent for people coming to Christ. They become a repellent for people coming to church. You know, when your life is inconsistent, you don't wear Jesus well. You know, I went through a season where in our church we had a lot of people burning money and they were borrowing from people in the church so they could burn money and then they weren't able to repay it because the burn was faster than the recovery. And so many of you and many members of our church got the reputation for being greedy, liars, thieves, just tap your neighbor and say, I think I know who he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, and while you looked like you were doing well, and yes, I go to that church, you were actually the worst representative of the kingdom of God that could be imagined. You were not salty. In fact, you'd lost your savor. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. By the way, you were repelling people from the church, and you were repelling people from Christ. Now you've all repented, and you're doing well, and nobody's lying or cheating or stealing anymore, right? You've gone to a new level, right? That's why we have action. And that's why you come to church. But guys, we can't play with this, because God says... If your life is not salty, it's, it's not worth anything. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. How authentic is your walk? Are the people around you drawn to faith by your life? Are they drawn to the church because of your life? Do people who cross your path recognize that there's a difference in the way that you live? Can they see it? I can't tell you how many times I've heard of somebody share that they know someone who says that they're a Christian, but their life is impure or unrighteous or compromised. It's embarrassing for me sometimes as a pastor, especially when they start naming your names and you come to this church. We got one ouch, a couple of holy murmurs. Hmm? Just tap your neighbor and say, that's not me. I promise you it's not me. You have to understand this. That you and I may be the only Bible our neighbor gets to read. It may be the only Bible or the only Jesus that the people you work with get to see. Ask yourself. Take, take a second. Ask yourself. Say, am I authentic? Am I the real deal? Ask your neighbor. Say, are you the real deal? Ask your other neighbor. Say, are you authentic? Now, do you want to ask another question? Do you want to ask them if you are authentic? You may not want the answer. Ask them, am I the real deal? Do you think I'm? See, are you, are, you, are, are you willing to ask that question? I'm asking myself, am I the real deal? Am I the real deal? 
Or have I let impurity and the world and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things, have I let that begin to dilute my saltiness? You see, the key to being authentic is to be real. It's being constant. It's not trying to appear to be perfect. Many of you look great on Sunday. I mean, in church, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, in, in, in ancient Greece and Rome, especially the Greeks, they had great theatrical events, plays in large theaters and large amphitheaters. How many of you know the difference between a theater and an amphitheater? Come to Israel, we'll show you. And you have to understand, at that time they didn't have microphones. And so to make their voices heard, you have to understand, that because they didn't have microphones and, and because they didn't have cameras so you could see, and that's a terrible picture. That's because the lights are too bright. But they didn't have cameras so you could see. So they couldn't magnify their images. They couldn't amplify their voices. So they invented a system to communicate so that the person at the back of the theater could see and hear. So what they did is they developed large masks, and the masks were made to look like the characters that they portrayed. And then they built into those masks megaphones that would amplify their voices. So they would come out carrying a mask with a megaphone in it, and they would begin to speak through the megaphone so you could hear it the back of the auditorium with a face that was bigger than their face so you knew which character was being portrayed. Does that make sense? The actors on stage got behind their masks and they became somebody else, somebody different from who they really were. The Greeks called these type of actors the hypocrites. You see, there are many people whose lives today are nothing more than an act. Especially today in our social media crazed world. Just last night I watched an in-depth report about how many people are lonely in the world today. It's a growing epidemic. In the 70s and 80s, there was a study done about loneliness around the world. And at that time, the world population had a problem because 15% of the whole world felt lonely. That was the, what the study came up with. About 15% about worldwide of the world's population was lonely. And more so in Western civilization. How many of you know there's a difference between loneliness and being alone? There are some of you that have been alone and you're not lonely. There's others of you that can be like today in a big crowd and you are alone and lonely. Oh, you're not alone in the sense of the crowd, but you're lonely in the sense of Hey, I don't feel connected. I don't feel accepted. 
In 2017, a study was conducted, and the figures were staggering. Not 15%, but nearly 50% of the world. Although they say they are more connected today by social media than ever before, they're suffering from a deep sense of loneliness. So what does that mean? That means that the picture on the selfie is the mask. We have many people today playing the same role as these Greek actors, only in their real lives. They too are the hypocrites. Now listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. You blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you like you are like unto whited sepulchers. Do you know what a sepulcher is? Come to Israel, we'll show you some. A whited sepulcher is a grave. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a whited grave box. It's a gravestone that holds the bones. Which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear to be righteous to men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You see, God wants to change us, but not superficially. He doesn't want us to look good. He wants us to be good. He calls us to be conformed, transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, as believers, as Christians, we're to be the good news before we share the good news. Just tell your neighbor, say, you're supposed to be the good news before you share the good news. We had a prayer meeting Friday night, and uh, one of the principles of prayer is the principle of the gospel. It's the, it's the same principle. Is that It's the same in anything. It's the same in politics. It's the same in business. It's the same in anything in life. But before you can go to the uttermost parts of the earth, you have to start in your Jerusalem. So in our lives, our Jerusalem is us. It's what's in your heart. And, and you, can, you, can, you can interpret this many ways. You can do it just inside of your own being. You know, or you could take it and you can say, well, your heart is you, that the Jerusalem is you, Judea is your family, Samaria is your church and your community around you, and the uttermost parts of the earth is the sphere that you're of, of, the, of your nation or what you're going to work with. I'm always shocked at politicians that are trying to tell us how to live their lives while they're the thieves. They send Zimra 
after us, but don't have to account for themselves. This is wrong, folks. But they want us to obey the laws that they won't obey, but they want us to vote for them. Guys, it's time. It's time for us to take a hard look at what's going on and demand from our politicians some transparency. Let's see what it looks like in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, before we try to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. Oh, but let's not get too forceful with our politicians. Let's start looking at our churches. Because the church is the same way. We as the church, if we can't love one another in the church, how are we going to love the world? If we're not salty with each other, how are we going to love the world? Oh, and let's take it down to ourselves. How about in our marriages and our families? If we're so disjointed in our marriages and our families and we can't work there, how are we going to affect the church and how will we affect the world? So that goes down to one place. That's me. How am I doing? See, I can't change you, but I can change me. I can get salty. I can get really salty. And I can even love some of you ugly people. Oh, you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're ugly. I'm just saying that we do ugly things. And sometimes our love is salty enough to help carry a brother or a sinner or even a politician. That's a joke. You can laugh at that, okay? <laughs> you know, Charles Schultz. Anybody know who Charles Schultz is? He was the uh, cartoonist who penned... Uh, Peanuts, the Peanuts, Charlie Brown and all those guys. Anybody, anybody know who I'm talking about? Who has no idea who I'm talking about? You've never seen, you've never seen Charlie Brown? You've never, watched, you've never watched the comics in the newspaper? Anyway, Charles Schultz was a great uh, cartoonist. And he would deal with all kinds of issues, family, political, uh, and, and heart issues through his uh, comic Peanuts. He's been on television. They, uh, he, this has gone all over the world. He's dead now. But uh, one of those little cartoons showed Peppermint Patty, which is one of the little girls who loved Charlie. Peppermint Patty talking to Charlie Brown. And she said, guess what, Chuck? That's what she used to call him, Chuck. Guess what, Chuck? The first day of school, I got sent to the principal's office. And it was your fault, Chuck. He said, my fault? How could it be my fault? Why do you say everything is my fault? She said, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. You see, now, while Peppermint Patty is really trying to pass the buck, she is, in a very real sense, right. We should be a positive influence on our friends. We should be a positive influence on our society. You see, we certainly do have a, an influence. All of us do. My question is, is our influence good or is it bad? Are you causing people to be more righteous or are you causing people to stumble and fall? We're always some type of influence in somebody's life. But Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. You know, in ancient times, the mineral that we call salt 
provided the financial support for the pursuit, the pursuits of the theater, for the pursuits of art. In other words, the salt trade at that time was so lucrative that a percentage was taken out to keep the arts alive. In Roman times, it was so precious, it provided a means to pay the soldiers. They were paid in salt. Have you ever heard that somebody's worth their salt? Huh? Have you ever heard the saying, somebody's worth their weight in gold? Well, do you know where that came from? The same thing. Because the salt received a nickname of being white gold. White gold. And during the Middle Ages, people would earn their salary, which comes from the word salarium, which was given to the name of the mineral when it functioned as a currency. Salt was a salari was salarium, and, and so people got paid with salt. They were worth their weight in white gold, gold, salt. Hmm. So here's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that as believers, we are to be the salt of the earth. But the thing that scares me is he says that we can lose, it's possible to lose our saltiness. If, if, if believers lose their flavor, then we become no benefit to others. The Bible says we only become worthy of being thrown out, trampled upon by men. I think in order to find the context of this, I want to go... Or, or, or the real meaning of what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the context. He says in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. He says, a city set on a hill or on a mountain cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. You are to let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. What Jesus is saying is that those of us who want to follow him have to make a difference in this world. We have to do something that changes the world. The difference is not that we just sit around and be salt. No, we do good works. We do things, okay? The difference we make is the flavor or the good works that we do as believers. He describes us as a shining light or a lamp, as a witness for Christ. Now consider the fact that for many years, Salt was used as an agent to slow the, the, the process of decay on meat or other foods so that they could be edible for longer periods of time. I don't know if you've ever been fishing at Lake Kariba, but the fishermen up there still do this with the tiger fish. If they catch a tiger fish, they'll gut it, they'll clean it, they'll fold it, and they'll salt it and lay it out on the roofs of their houses or on the shore, the shore to dry. And it can last for a long, long time once it's salted. There's still some farmers that know how to do that with something called biltong. They put enough salt and they put enough spice in it that it hangs out, that it preserves it. Meat. As Christians, as believers who obey God and do his will, you and I are acting as a preservative of the human race by slowing down the moral and spiritual decay in the world around us. 
But making a difference even includes more than just our actions. According to the Apostle Paul, we must also have to use our words as salt to season and benefit the people that we talk to. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6 says this, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom to those that are without, the unbeliever, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that they may know how, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Guys, our speech has to be seasoned with salt. Are you salty? Is your words seasoned with salt? Do people say, ooh, he convicts me of sin. Ooh, she, she, she makes me feel uncomfortable with her standards. She's so true. She's so honest. She is so persevering. When I get around her, something, ooh, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. So what did Jesus mean when he stated that the salt which loses its savor is only fit to be trampled? You see, uh, again, I, I can't wait to take you to Israel because if you come with us, you're going to see that in the old city particularly, the way they build their houses is, first of all, they don't have very good foundations. In Israel, houses collapse all the time. It's really weird. Because they build second, sometimes even third stories on foundations that are meant to carry one. But when they put the second story in, they usually put a wood floor and then they plaster it over. But if you only use wall plaster, it's too brittle. And so when you walk on it, because the wood gives just a little bit, it cracks up and it, and it, and it, it doesn't. But if you use salty dirt, if you mixed your dirt if you, with salt, it has a binding agent to it, but it loses its saltiness. And they often water it, and so it loses its saltiness, but it does bind the dirt. We even do that here. On our building sites sometimes, you go and you'll sprinkle salt to do a binding of the dirt, the clay. Anybody listening to me? But once it's bound in the clay, once it's clay, it is so impure that it's unable to fulfill its role as a seasoning agent. It's in such an irreversible state that it's only good to be walked on. So as believers, we, like salt, need to live as pure of a life as possible so that we can maximize our ability to flavor or bless the earth or preserve the earth through our good works. Now, there's a number of ways we can lose our saltiness. Let me just give you a few. We'll close. Number one, selfishness. Selfishness, self-seeking. Timothy says, this know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of them, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers or covenant breakers, 
false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Let me tell you something. In the age of selfishness in which we live right now, there is so much, so many people selfish that they're lonely and they feel alone. You can't live for yourself and have friends. Because when it comes down to doing right and taking care of number one, which is you, you'll always take care of number one and you'll always throw your friend under the bus. And then you'll always be alone and you'll always be lonely. The Bible teaches just the opposite. Be salty. Do good works. Live for others. Pour your life out. Let your life be a sacrifice for others. And that's what we're challenging you to during this action. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your box. Get out of your selfishness and serve. Love. Help somebody. Call somebody. Ask somebody. Bless somebody. Be salty. Number two. When we allow a mixture of things in our lives like false doctrines, idolatry, or even the vain worship of God. You know, and, and, and somebody says, well, what's vain worship of God? I, I'll tell you what's become vain worship of God in most nations of the world. And don't get mad at me, but we've been talking about this. But our feasts, our holidays of Christmas and Easter, they no longer really worship God anymore. They're just... Places to merchandise the people. We don't really worship God during those times. It's all about something else. And it's become a vain worship. But when you allow too much mixture, you lose your saltiness. That's one of the reasons that Pastor Bonnie and I have decided that, hey, you know what? We're not going to emphasize Easter. We've never really emphasized it too much. Easter and Christmas, we've allowed it to be celebrated. But we, we want to emphasize the feasts of God. What is God see as his feast. And let's honor those. And if you practice Christmas or Easter as a tradition or as a family, listen, be careful to make sure that you delineate what the truth is with your children. Why? Because we can lose our purity or those feasts can lose their purity and their original intended, intended purpose. And they become useless. They become vain. Mark 7 says it this way. How be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, like washing of pots and cups and many other such like things that you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Let's be careful what traditions we're keeping. Even more so in our African culture. There are some cultural things that should be celebrated. I have to tell you, some of the things I see in the Shona culture, we need to celebrate them. And we don't want to deny that. Or in Indabelli culture. But when it mixes, and it's a mixture, and it begins to go against the commandment of God. When it's things that you know are tied to witchcraft, tied to control, manipulation, domination. When you can't do it out of a free heart, but you're in fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of love, of strength, and of a sound mind. And you have to break those things. You have to become salt and light. And yes, for a season, your family will reject you. For a season, they will despise you. But when you stand up, you will become the head of that family because they are looking for somebody to tell them the truth. Be salt and light in your culture. Third, the last thing is fear of man. The Bible says, for you have not received a spirit of fear, but of love and of strength and of a sound mind. You see, fear of any kind will keep you from being salty. Fear of any kind will keep you from speaking the truth in love. Fear of any kind will keep you from being true to God. If you fear a politician more than you fear God, you'll always be on the wrong end of the stick placating a man when they put their pants on the same way you do. I've never seen such arrogance as I have recently with people who have positions of power in our nation. The way they treat their employees, the way that they treat others who are deemed less than them, inferior to them, speaking to them as though they are not human beings, speaking to them as though they do not deserve the same genuine respect as each other. This is arrogance. This is pride. These are things that should not be. Those of you that are leaders, those of you that are pastors in particular, those of us that are trying to build corporations, we need to understand that we need to love people to their positions. We need to work with people where they are. We need to be long-suffering. and We need to treat even the least and the worst of our employees. The least and the worst of our constituencies as though they are God's precious gift. God's precious gift. We can't be afraid to speak the truth to anyone. Speak in love. Amen? Let me close. Salt is a seasoning. It's a preservative. But unless salt is brought in contact with another object, its influence is wasted. Salt becomes invisible in order to have a visible effect. Salt by itself is nothing more than fine little particles and left to itself, it's worthless. Salt in a salt shaker is of no use. But once it's rubbed into and onto meat or added to food, it becomes invisible. But what it was intended for, influencing the flavor or preserving the element, is brought to our attention. Ask yourself, ask yourself, are you having a visible effect on the world? Ask your neighbor, are you having a visible effect on your world? Are you influencing the flavor of those that God sends to you? When God puts you, let me tell you, you say, well, I don't think God's sending anybody to me. Hey, I have news for you. Everyone that comes across your path, God sent to you. 
the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. There's no mistakes in the kingdom of God. There's no mistakes. That person may even be a panina to you. If you weren't here last Sunday, you need to get that message, okay? So salt, it just sits in the shakers of no use. Whether it's a church full of believers or a cell group or you're just sitting inside your own skin, you're no use unless you shake yourself out and begin to touch something that may be putrefying. You know, it's kind of like believers who become complacent. I watch believers who are afraid to pray over their meals in public. Or they get headache prayers. <laughs> we have believers who are afraid to take a moral stand. They want to be politically correct. Or they refuse to share their faith. They're like salt sitting in a salt shaker. Are you authentic? Are you the real deal? Or are you wearing a mask? Are you finding yourself too often playing the role of the hypocrite? Is your salt sitting on a shelf or are you in contact with bringing flavor to those that God sent you to? You see, what you say and what you do influences those that God puts in your life. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.